Welcome to another episode of Vet School Unleashed, Dissecting the DVM, where we dissect topics and issues relating to life in veterinary school. I'm your host, Seth Williams, and I'm a veterinary student at the University of Missouri College of Veterinary Medicine. Today, we're going to step a bit outside the veterinary medicine box and talk about our professional cousin, if you will, human medicine. I've always been really interested in having a dialogue with someone in the human medicine field um, and really get down to what makes our field similar, what makes them different, and what we can learn from each other, not only uh, as doctors, but also as medical students. So I am super excited because we're going to get to do just that today. So let me introduce our very special guest for today's podcast, Claire Brady. Claire is a second year medical student at St. Louis University School of Medicine. She's a native of St. Louis and received her undergraduate degree from the University of Notre Dame in Indiana. In addition to being a medical student, Claire also has a great blog called Fitting It All In, where she talks about her life in med school, uh, also being a yoga teacher, and really anything else that uh, she thinks we may find interesting in her life. So welcome to the podcast, Claire. Hi, thank you. So I know that um, you and I both had bit of an uh, unorthodox journey towards our medical careers or what will soon be a medical career. Um, could you just tell us a bit about your journey? Sure. So like you mentioned, I graduated from Notre Dame in 2010 and I majored in marketing and graphic design, so not the medical field. Um, and I worked in marketing and advertising for almost three years. And during that time, I was getting more and more interested in medicine and in health and nutrition and sort of everything about the body. And so I came to a little bit of a breaking point where I was going to leave my job in marketing and I could either apply to another job in marketing or I could totally change paths. And I had been researching physiology and all these topics on my own. I actually had become a certified health coach and was seeing clients part-time. And that was just what I loved and what lit me up. So I decided now or never and went for it. So I did have to go back to school. I applied to post-baccalaureate programs and ended up doing a year at the University of Virginia. Okay. um, At the end of which I took the MCAT. So then I had to take a year off to apply. I uh, worked at a doctor's office for a little while there, and then I was finally able to start med school. Terrific. Congrats. Yeah. Thank you. So what now that you've kind of left the, um, the professional field back into being a student, how has that been? It's, it's awesome and challenging at the same time. Uh, I love what I'm doing, which makes it totally worth it. Um, I'm fascinated by medicine. I'm excited about my future career. I don't regret my decision at all. There's obviously hard parts, like not having an income, um, being back in school when most of the people your age and your friends are at totally different stages in their life Mm -hmm. can be really challenging. But um, in general, I think it's great. And I think it gives me a good perspective on it as well. I think people that go straight into professional degrees, especially ones that are as challenging as medicine from undergrad, sort of don't have that same life perspective and get more stressed about things. Obviously, everyone gets stressed, but I think you have a little bit more life perspective having done something else already. Yeah, I agree. I think um, a thing that's really helped me in my school. So for those of you that don't know, I also had a similar, you know, (laughs) business experience uh, for four years before uh, vet school. Um, But having work experience and life experience, there is no way I know in my mind that I would be successful in vet school if I had not had that experience beforehand. So I, I really give props to people that would go straight from undergrad. Um, I I would be hesitant going straight from undergrad to med or vet school to being a doctor without having professional experience. Um, I also don't think I would have been ready. Like same, as a person. Right, right, so right. it's a lot to handle and there's a lot to consider when you get into a medical field and a medical profession. And I'm really glad I had those years to sort of feel out my life as an adult before right. I made that big decision. Totally. Um, okay, so, you know, one of the main reasons I wanted to bring us together today was that I feel, and I'd be interested to hear your take on this too, but um, at least at least in Mizzou, and, and I know that at other schools that have both a veterinary medical program and a, and a human medical program, that there's barely any, if any, overlap of communication between 
the vet side and the med side, at least with the students. Yeah, we don't have a vet school at SLU, so I can't right. speak directly to that. But even just as a profession and or as a school, no, we don't talk to vet students at all, right. which seems kind of crazy. Right. And, and I think it, you know, it, it's such a, a disadvantage to both of us because from what I've learned is that our fields have a ton of overlap. I would assume um, so, yeah. And, and I know that, you know, at least vet students don't know much about what goes on in med school. And I, and I think that's true vice versa. Yes. So what, you know, what, what do you know about veterinary school, veterinary medicine? Not to put you on the spot. No. Well, I mean, you and I had a brief conversation before we started recording this and I, I didn't know a whole lot. I mean, I know that you have to learn similar things about animals that we would have to learn about the human body. Right. Um, and that it's a doctorate degree and things like that. But to be honest, curriculum wise, or I mean, I learned so much just in that short talk with you about career options and how it works. So truly, I didn't know a whole lot at all. I didn't know how your curriculum was structured or it sounds like it's actually a lot more similar than I, I would have imagined. Yeah. And, w- and what we were talking about earlier is that, you know, and, and we'll get into because I want to talk about kind of curriculum and, and things that we do in school, at least in the in the didactic years. Um, but like when it comes to anatomy and physiology, there is so much overlap because we're just talking about mammals here. Now, obviously, there's going to be some major differences if we're talking, you know, a human versus a dog versus a, um, a ruminant GI system, of course, but, um, but there's so much overlap. And, and right. I'm so surprised that there's not um, as much talk between both of our professions as there Well, would interestingly, be. all vets that are studying animals are also humans, so they know right. about their own bodies, at right. least somewhat, right. Hopefully. and can compare it. But a lot of med students probably don't know much about animals at all, right. unless there's a personal interest. So um, that's a disadvantage for us, I think, or... Or maybe right. one of the reasons we don't talk and think about it as much is we're just not aware even right. that there could be so many similarities, aside from the fact that we know we're all mammals. You know, right. And I imagine there's probably no reason for you guys to think about that because you're not going to be dealing with animal medicine. I mean, unless you're in research or something like that. Right. But but since we deal with animals, but also their owners, we sometimes use, like, if I'm trying to explain um, a condition that their dog has, I may say, you know, sometimes you may feel like this and, and the dog's going to feel like this as well. So that's a good point. We may be thinking a little bit more about the human side, even though we don't know. That is such a good point. Yeah. Um, and we would never have to, like, I'm never going to explain to a patient right. that their dog might right. feel that right. way. Your dog's but. knee is hurting, just like your knee is going to hurt, <laughs> you know, something like that. Um, so let's talk about the, um, our, our schooling. So wh- how is med school set up in terms of you know, what happens before you go to clinics? What happens when you go to clinics? So there's a general setup I can talk about, and it mm-hmm. is the one we have at SLU. Um, all med schools do things differently, and there's right. actually a lot of changes. Um, some schools have already changed. Some schools are moving towards it to try to get more and more clinical work earlier on. So mm-hmm. I can't say this is across the board, but the general setup is two years of preclinical work, so classroom mm-hmm. learning, and then two years of clinical work. And how SLU is set up is the first year is sort of what we would refer to as more basic science. And we take one class at a time. Sometimes there's a smaller second class added in, but we're going to take your cell biology, um, anatomy. So that's when we're in the cadaver lab. Mm -hmm. We take a pathology class, an immunology class, pharmacology. And then after you get all those out of the way, you start going by organ system. And within each organ system, you do all the normal physiology and the pathology, oh, okay. um, the, the drugs, the pharmacology mm-hmm. with it, the treatment plans and things like that. So that's what I'm doing this year, um, okay. currently in GI. And then at the end of your second year, so normally after you've finished all of the organ systems, you have to take the first part of your board's exam. So there's three parts of what is called USMLE, medical mm-hmm. licensing exams, that you have to pass in order to be a licensed physician. And you take step one after, normally after your second year. Again, some people do it a little differently, but that's the most common way. And that is a huge test that plays, your score on that has a huge role in where you can um, get into residencies and Mm -hmm. what fields you can get into. But then normally your third year, you do sort of standard rotations that everyone's required to do. Mm -hmm. So you spend time in pediatrics, in internal medicine, in surgery, OBGYN, psych neuro, and I'm going to forget one. Um, <laughs> family. Oh, family. I forgot. Did I say family? No. I don't know. Um, and so that is supposed to be the year when you're starting to get a feel for what you like mm-hmm. and where you think you might want to go. And then starting in your fourth year, you can sort of specialize the curriculum yourself. There's a few more requirements. Most schools require you to do a little bit of emergency medicine. 
but you can really say, no, I'm really interested in OBGYN and I want to do a ton of time in just different areas of OBGYN. And during that same time, fourth year, you're applying to your residencies um, and so interviewing and things like that. And the match system is a whole other mess we could get into. But that is the standard thing. And then after your four years, you would start your residency, which is a minimum of three years, can be upwards of eight if you go into something crazy like neurosurgery. Yeah. Um, but usually a minimum of three and you take your third part of the medical licensing exam during residency after which you are actually board certified and can practice on your own. So vet school, you had told me doesn't even have to have a residency sometimes. Right. Not by, not by law. Is it, is it by law that you need like legally to be licensed? Yes. In the United States. To to be a a licensed practicing physician, you have to be boarded. You can say you're a doctor after you graduate right. med school and practice, but, and, and maybe there's some very rural areas that need a doctor that do that. But in general, most people would not go to you or hire you for sure. Got it. If you were not licensed. Okay. Um, yeah. So that, that's one of the main differences in vet med. Um, but in terms of our curriculum, and again, I will also disclaim that Mizzou probably does it differently than, than other schools. Um, but I think in general, um, at least what we do at Mizzou. So our first year is all about the normal animal. Mm -hmm. Um, So we will do anatomy and physiology simultaneously. We'll also do some of those basic sciences you talked about, you know, um, cell bio and... So uh, multiple classes at a time though? Yes. Okay. Yes. So some schools still do that, but more and more are moving towards block in medicine. So we're we're also on the block schedule, which I think is different, again, from other vet schools. Um, So we will have... um, So in our first two years, we will have 11 eight-week blocks. Okay. So yeah, it's just try to stick with me here. Um, so each semester, so our your your typical classic semester, fall semester, spring semester, will have two blocks. Um, so two at a time. Right. Uh, right. So um, we call them instructional periods in Mizzou. So IPs. Okay. So IP one and two in the fall, IP three and four in the spring. Um, at Mizzou, we are a little bit unique. I think some vet schools are going to this um, pattern, but we spend an extra year in clinics. Um, most vet schools only do. Uh, a year, maybe a little bit more in clinics. So it's usually their fourth year or maybe the tail end of their third year and fourth year in clinics. So they're still in the classroom through most of their third Correct. year? So their their first through third year is, is um, didactic uh, lecture work. At Mizzou, we, um, we really value that clinic time. So we will have a bit of an accelerated program to get all of our classroom work done in two years. Um, with that being said, we actually go a bit into the summer. So we'll have an extra block in the summer so we instead of getting out in may we get out at the beginning of july or end of june we only get summer break first year and we only get it first and second year but yeah yeah, interestingly med schools are now some pushing up so they only have one year of didactic classroom work and three years of clinical that's That's, becoming that's crazy because they think as a as a future physician that's where you actually learn is when you're in with the patients um so more and more schools are doing that right and and i and i think it's um Everyone is going to be unique, but I know that I learn much better in a clinical setting and like hands-on. Um, I know some people are, are the reverse; they can learn much better um, from a book or from a lecture. Uh, but that's part of the, one of the main reasons I chose Mizzou is that um, you get a little bit, little bit more time in the hospital. Makes sense. Um, so, so yeah, so we have eleven eight-week blocks of your clinic. Uh, sorry, excuse me, of your uh, didactic lecture work. So yeah, so it, so in the first year. Um, which is uh, all about the normal animal. Uh, we will do anatomy, physiology, um, and again, uh, basic sciences like cell bio, um, microanatomy stuff, and you know, it's other general, but all around the normal body. Uh, and then come second year, it's all about fixing the abnormal. So right now, um, we're talking about uh, all the pathology systems, um, pharmacology and radiology and, you know, more di- diagnostic things like that. So I think that's one of the big differences is um, you guys do kind of kind of it all of it by organ systems. Right, yeah, right. the same. Usually the, the first couple days are this is what's normal, and then they go straight into right. this is what's not normal. Right. Um, yeah, so, so that's that's it. That's interesting interesting difference. Um, in terms of anatomy, you know, we obviously have a few different uh, species to to work on. Uh, just going to ask you about you know in terms of your, your experience in the cadaver lab. So the way at Mizzou, we uh, in our fall semester, so our first two blocks, it's all small animal, so dog and cat. Okay. Um, and in the spring, it's uh, large animal and equine. So we'll have a 
um, usually a calf that we will be dissecting simultaneously with a, um, a horse. Um, at first, you know, when, when, the first week or so of, of our anatomy labs, it was a bit weird going in and, and dissecting a once living animal and one that we had such a strong bond. I mean, we didn't, we didn't know the cadaver, obviously, but we have a strong bond with the species. Um, and we were talking, you know, at least in my anatomy group, like that I could not imagine dissecting a human being. What was that like? <laughs> so uh, no one in my class passed out. Um, <laughs> we, everyone's, I think everyone's more nervous going into it. Um, they keep the face covered, usually right, until you have to dissect the face. Um, and is there a specific age or sex or does it? No, um, it's so we have a body donating program. There's one nationwide. SLU has its own as well. Um where people donate their bodies, mm-hmm. and we don't know who they are. There's a list um, usually on the wall that says the age of the person and what they died of, okay. which is interesting because sometimes you can actually see the anatomy or the mm-hmm. pathology. Um, but who you get assigned to in your lab or male or female is totally random. Usually, We have a couple bays, so we had four to a body. Okay. Um, they've changed our anatomy program at SLU a little bit this year. It has mm-hmm. a new course director, so there might be more people to a body now, but... There were four bodies in each bay, so they used, usually tried to have at least one male or one female in each bay, okay. so it wasn't totally mm-hmm. so that you could see the different anatomy. Um, the first day is weird. Uh, yeah. We start on the back, so at least that's good. Oh, okay. Um, and I hate to say it, but you get sen- you get desensitized. I was just going to say that um, we we do not even I'd say we don't think about it, but about a month in you really aren't thinking about you, that living it's like you have a project each day right you know what you have to go find and you do it and we i i, I hate to say that because it sounds so insensitive right but i don't think you could get through it if you didn't let no. yourself get desensitized um, or at least disconnect from right the you can't right and we we do have um slu is a catholic school mm-hmm. so we have a prayer service ceremony it's not it's um non-denominational and multi-denominational um every year during anatomy where we invite the families of the people that donated their bodies that's really cool and we speak to them and share our stories about why we're so grateful and how much we learned and things like that and it's really helpful to them because a lot of times the families of these people don't understand and don't like the idea of their relative getting dissected um but it's so important to be able to have those real Right. people or real animals you learn so much from doing it but doing the face was hard actually seeing the face was hard at first mm-hmm. but eventually it's just and maybe it's because we're fascinated by it right that it's actually really cool to be able to do and, and you're grateful you get to do it and so you just do it do it right yep and it becomes your normal it becomes your every day right so it, it happened a lot faster than i expected it to yeah that's cool <laughs> similar for you yeah, you know, I, again, it was a, it was a shock. I mean, it was it was I was really excited to get into the anatomy lab and start doing it because you're actually like getting into the body right. and seeing things. Um, I wasn't sure how I was going to handle seeing a dog uh, and a cat, um, you know, deceased in front of me, and then I was going to start, you know, opening Cutting up. Open, yes. um, but yeah, we, I think yeah, we get desensitized relatively quickly. And 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 for for those that are listening that are not in medicine, <laughs> it, it probably sounds bad. Like. Oh, I don't care that we're cutting open this, but it is, it's you're really that. grateful for the opportunity to do it and you're learning about it because you know that you're going to give it back in the end. It's an, um, it's an incredibly essential and amazing learning experience right. that right. you need to have. And if you let yourself get overwhelmed and upset every time you went in there, you wouldn't be able to learn. Right. Right. And I think one of the big differences too, um, that I'm just thinking about in terms of our cadavers is that your cadavers all died of a of a pathologic cause normally normally yes, we were not putting them down exactly yes. which hopefully we're not going to be doing that to our human uh, <laughs> brethren if you will um, it's, it's but, controversial topic right yes. um, but in veterinary medicine that is a relatively commonplace form of treatment which right. we can get into a whole topic about I, yes. uh, euthanasia as treatment but um, all these dogs were euthanized or all these animals were euthanized. Um, some of them may or may not have had a disease. Um, so, uh, you know, you may not know if you're going to get in there and find anything that's mm-hmm. wrong with them. Um, 
Now, obviously, there's there was usually some type of minor developmental abnormality that we could talk about, but um, the whole idea with the, the cadavers that we were using is that these were normal animals. That's interesting. Um, whereas with you... There, well, some would have theory, died of old age, but some you had heart disease and liver right. disease, and you could actually see the pathology, right, right. which was interesting. Um, but I guess it, at that point in your schooling, you wouldn't have known the significance of the pathology. No, right? which right. is interesting. And but same with in us, some obviously. ways, it's like, ooh, I want to go learn about that. And right. um, that sounds so terrible to get so excited about right. something wrong with a human, but you have to find it fascinating and want to fix it. Yeah, right. so... Right. Yeah, so that that was I think that's a big difference is that we typically shoot to get normal cadavers, uh, normal, uh, normal in terms of anatomy and physiology, yeah. whereas it's I guess a crapshoot and for the most part things are normal, right? But um, but you may have cancer in the lung or right, something. and usually that lab, um, if someone found it, everyone would go look, got it, and compare it to theirs and see you okay. know what was normal right. and not. And it was actually really interesting. It was um, sort of like a mystery. You got to say. I wonder what went wrong. Right. You know? So. Cool. Yeah. So that's interesting comparison. Cool. Definitely. And yours sounds like to do that many animals, how long do you do anatomy for? So we do a full, full academic year um, at Mizzou. What do you guys do? Seven weeks. Holy moly. Yeah. Okay. So that's a big difference too. We're in the lab for four hours every day on just one body for seven weeks. Okay. So we we do the entire body. Got it. So, trying to go back and think. We so we were in the lab three or hour and a half, three days a week, uh, on the dog and the cat, and we did the whole body mm-hmm. in sixteen weeks. So smaller animals, but right, um, less time in the in the lab. Right, uh, and then large animal we did. Uh, f- it was either three or four hours a day. I can't remember. Uh, four days a week, and that was for sixteen weeks as well. But you're also taking physiology and potentially something right. else at the same time, right? So, so ours yeah. was intensive anatomy, right. yeah, right. Um, and not all schools do it that way. We always say this, you know, may be too much information, but the bodies dry out. Oh yeah. So we yeah. were like, how could you do this for a whole year? Even after seven weeks, it was hard to keep them fresh. Yeah, we we get yelled at a lot because you know we're supposed to spray it down right, every day, and, and, and if we and don't, then. But it even turns when to you jerky. do, it can. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, and our la- so I assume you guys refrigerate the cadavers, or are they out all the time? They're out for that seven. Okay, seven so weeks. so we refrigerate our dogs and cats. So maybe yeah, and that that helps really... a little bit. I don't know if you guys had like the the drawer. No, cooler no, not system, like um like, like you would have in a morgue or something. Yeah, no. but I've seen on TV. Not that I haven't no, seen not, any in real maybe life. Maybe but... some schools do that. Maybe that's what they do when they yeah, do year long anatomy. But yeah. no, ours stay out for the okay. seven weeks. Yeah. Um, and then we also do that because there's other um, majors or programs at the school that use the cadaver lab when we're not. So okay. the master's in anatomy students, I think, would dissect over the summer. And the um, physical therapy students use it for a while, too. Got so. it. Yeah. Yeah. So our, our horse and our cow uh, will stay out for 16 weeks. Um, and we just wrap them up. That as much. They're so big. Yeah. Your labs yeah. must look very different than ours. I would say so, probably. <laughs> um all right, so so that was anatomy. Right. Uh, we know that our programs are different in terms of how we split up, you know, the abnormal, the, the normal. Mm-hmm. Um, a thing you had mentioned earlier is about when you take boards, how many times you take them, and residency, mm-hmm. all that. Um, now, correct me if I'm wrong, but what I know is that you take part one, if you will, of boards yes. in your third... Between second and okay. third year, usually. Okay. And then you'll graduate... We take step two also during oh. either, usually sometime during your fourth year. Okay. And that's and step kinda... two has two parts. It has a written part and then a clinical portion, okay. which is highly debatable. And most students are trying to get rid of the um, clinical portion. Okay. But at this point, we still have two parts. Got and then it. step three is during your residency. Got it. So, so you'll graduate with an MD. Yes. And then you do your residency. Yes. And that is a variable type, but usually a few the years. The minimum is three years, okay. um, usually for like family practice or pediatrics. Mm-hmm. The more specialized you get, the longer it is. Okay. And then what comes after residency? Is there any... Uh, fellowship. So Is that required? No, 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 no. Okay. Um, a fellowship is, say, is you want to go even more specialized. 
So okay. um, I have a friend that is finishing her OBGYN residency, but is choosing, she could just go and practice as a regular OBGYN, but she's choosing to do a fellowship in OBGYN oncology. Okay. So it's just even more specialized training. And then does internship have any role? Internship is the name of what they call your first year of residency. Oh, yeah. okay. So I did not you're know an that. intern or Got you're it. a first year resident. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. So it is a, it is a long road. It is. It can be, it seems like you could stay in school forever if you wanted. Those neurosurgeons, they're in it for the long haul. Yeah. Well, I I find it funny too, because, you know, I I started undergrad wanting to be a a physician. Uh, Part of me not doing that was that, well, I don't want to be 32 when I'm out. And now uh, look at And us. now I'm going to be 32 (laughs) when I'm out. So. um, Oh, same here. uh, And about to start a residency. Right. Uh Right. So. Anyways. But, yeah. But we're happy, right? Right. We like what we're doing. Right. Um, so, yeah, so that's, that's different in vet med. Um, we will take our boards in our fourth year, and we just have one. Just one set. One set of boards. Um, is it pass-fail? Yes, it is pass-fail. But um, So getting jobs doesn't depend on the grade you get, or it does? Makes I do you not believe so. I okay. do not believe so. So there's a difference for us. The, okay. The scores you get on boards are very important okay. for residency. Does, does your... GPA and all that play a role in that tours are mainly just based on the boards. My slew is pass fail first and second year. Okay. Well, um, for stress purposes, which we can get into stress and right. wellness in a little bit. Um, more and more schools are going pass fail first and second year. And then your grades second year or during your clinicals um, okay. are very important. And those grades are based on um, subjective evaluations from your um, clerkship directors or the residents or physicians you're working with. Also, um, more tests that you take then. Um, but overall, that score on your first step of boards is sort of make it or break it. Um, That's intense. So it's, it is, and I'm getting ready to take it yeah. in a few months. <laughs> so, wow, okay. Um, so yeah, so from what I know is that um, you pass or you fill your boards mm-hmm. in, in vet men, uh, and then you can go out and practice. Um, so are you usually applying for jobs during your fourth year? So you Correct. have a job lined up? Correct. Or, you know, I think that if you can, in the perfect world, you could do a preceptorship or an externship at a, at a clinic or hospital that you would want to potentially work at and use that as kind of a your interview. Yeah. And yeah. Um, I think that's that's that would be ideal. So do a lot of people travel and go to different sites to yes. um, fourth year? So at least in Mizzou, um, you're required to have... I believe four weeks of preceptorship okay. experience, uh, which is going to be off campus. Um, so a lot of people will, yes, go back home or find a clinic that specializes in an area that they would like to get into um, and spend a couple weeks out there doing that. Uh, you could do much more than four weeks if you want. Okay. Um, so yeah, so, so you'll, once you're out, you, you can, you can, you're good to go. Um, now, there is a... Um, a minority percentage of vet students that will go on to become board certified. Um, and I think that's where we get into a big difference with, with human medicine. Right. Um, where we have all the of standard the standard is being board certified. Exactly. And that is not the standard right. in vet med. We have, uh, you know, most, if not all of the same specialties that the human side does. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, again, most of us are not board certified. The need is for general Correct, a general that's practitioner, um, so. and, and that's probably mainly for a small animal, I believe. Right. Um, you know, once you get into the equine side, you could you could get pretty specialized in that in terms of surgery versus medicine mm-hmm. and, and things like that. Um, but yeah, so so a, a minority percentage will go on and do usually a one year internship, we call it, which is you're you're not a resident, but that is part of the um, the journey and the uh, evaluation process to become a resident somewhere. Uh, and then you'll usually do a, a three-ish year residency. Oh, that's a um, long time. Yeah, to become, and then take your 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 specialty boards. So there's another set of boards if you do choose to Correct. specialize. Correct. Okay. And, and then once that is done, um, then, 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 done. then you're then Do you have continuing specialist. education credits yes. to get? So mm-hmm. same yeah. as... Yep. Um, interesting. That's yep. really... Yep. So I think it's, you know... Schooling is this, is pretty similar in terms of time, but you guys have a lot. And what's what's the career field like competition wise? Is there a huge? Is it hard to get jobs? Is it easy? Is it? It's debatable. I, you know, there's been a lot of publications out recently about the the market. Mm-hmm. Um, 
it depends where you go. I, I you know, from what I've read is that the the rural areas in the country are in need of of, of veterinarians. Same with doctors, um, yes. Right. So I, I'm sure it's pretty darn similar. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a big difference that we would have is like, do does your city need an oncologist or do they need a surgeon? Whereas, um, you know, most most cities are, are would potentially need those specialties, but because most of the specialties are going to be at the veterinary schools, the veterinary hospitals. Okay. Um, you know, for example, St. Louis, if your dog is going to go, um, you know, for really intensive uh, cancer treatment or some, you know, crazy diagnostic workup, chances are you're going to go to Mizzou for, for that. For that, yeah. Um, now, obviously, there are specialty hospitals in big cities or even mm-hmm. small cities, but um, typically the majority of the doctors in a city are going to be general practitioners. Okay. Um, so, so yeah, that, that's a difference there. Um, in terms of the job market, I, you know, I think it's, it's a lot of just how you network and where you want to be. Um, but people aren't worried. I don't think so. I think the big worry, at least in our, in our field is, um, the debt to income ratio, uh, which I'm sure is. You know, just based on your face is, is uh, maybe a problem too. Um, we just ignore the fact that we're all in debt. Right, right. Um, so I, that's a big topic is about um, the the difference of what our salaries should be um, versus what they are. Yes. Um, is that we feel we're grossly underpaid, which I know that all professions feel. But uh, in terms but of... But I would the, say it's similar with general practice physicians right as well yeah and and i think if you get to be a specialist then your income is going to be a lot higher but talking about family medicine or pediatrics i think would be similar in that they feel like their debt to income ratio is not appropriate right right. and what we were talking about too before is that you know if you're going to go for a a specialty in veterinary Mm -hmm. um you're going to be making considerably less in your resident years and the topic of discussion now is whether that's going to pay off at least in a in a in a in a a significant reward in the future. Right. And that is debatable, at least at this point in, in what they're talking about. Right. Now, we also, as um, physicians or future physicians, don't even at this time know what medicine's going to look like right. in the future, right. um, especially given election outcomes and, and healthcare um, maybe changes coming up. So right. Much it's more all fluid. up in the air. Right. <laughs> yeah. And, and another. T- Topic I would love to talk about, but we could probably spend a couple of days on it, is insurance. Oh, gosh. And that's one of the beauties. Well, I don't know if you'd call it a beauty, but we don't typically deal with that because pet insurance is uh, not very popular right, right. now. They are working on, um, you know, the insurance companies are working on getting that in, uh, as a commonplace option. But insurance it, makes the life of a um, human physician very different. Right, right. <laughs> So yeah, I, totally I, different. There's a whole business side to it right. that more and more med schools are actually incorporating business education because you have to know how to work in that marketplace. Right. And that's actually a huge reason why there is so much burnout and dissatisfaction with mm-hmm. physicians is because they spend so much of their time doing paperwork and insurance work as mm-hmm. opposed to seeing patients. Got it. And I guess that is part of the reason why we're seeing a bit of a, uh, a growth in the boutique field yes. is that they get, they get around that. Correct. correct? Um, More concierge medicine type practices where you sort of buy into it and get access and then they don't take insurance. Some do. There's a couple different models. Mm -hmm. Um, And physicians really like that they're able to actually spend more time with their patients and they're not regulated by an insurance company that dictates how they have to practice. Right. There's controversy there as well because a lot of people can't afford to buy into those. And, you know, all people deserve good medical care or that is a general a thought right. process. Right. So yeah, there's a lot of different ways that people choose to practice. Um, and a lot of that's changing and right. we'll see what happens. So yeah, so back to the, like the financial aspect, I think in general, and I don't have data to back it up, but I think the physicians in general make a bit more money than veterinarians, generally speaking. I'm sure the average, which, yes. Yes. Um, Whereas, you know, I think as a general practitioner, associate veterinarian, um, it could be tough out there. You know, mm-hmm. I think that, you know, where you really get ahead in terms of financial growth and financial prosperity um, in in veterinary side is either you become a, a damn good specialist or you become a practice owner. Um, and then you make the money owning the practice. Correct. Okay. Whereas I think in veterinary, uh, sorry, in, in human medicine, you know, if you are a specialty surgeon, for example, you could make a lot more money than, say, uh, 
a rural general medicine. Oh, gosh, yes. And actually, interestingly, in human medicine, owning your own practice used to be really a really good thing to do mm-hmm. and a way to make money. And now... Is that possible to do anymore with the big the big players? Uh, no. it's it's Some do. It's really difficult now. Yeah. Um, big medical groups and hospitals are making that very difficult because they won't refer patients out because mm-hmm. they would rather refer them into the doctors that work for the hospitals. So it becomes um, a bit political if you, if you yeah, want to look at it and, that way. and buying insurance and, and being able to do all your billing. It's hard as yeah. a, it's not what it used to be. Right. Owning your own practice, the way that you would think in vet medicine, oh, right. this is the way to do it. Right. It's really hard yeah. right now as a physician. A lot of physicians are selling their private practices. Interesting. Yes. Cool. So it seems like there there may be a bit of a, a narrower road to financial success. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but you know, since you guys have limited um, business avenues to go down in terms of control of how you... That is another reason that leads to burnout is that physicians don't feel like they get to control their own life anymore. That okay. was a huge benefit of owning your own practice was this is mine. I own it. I do what I want. And mm-hmm. since that's not really possible anymore and you generally have to work for a hospital group or a larger physician conglomerate, um, you don't have that same autonomy anymore. Right. And that's another reason people don't like it. So while there are still definitely a ton of different ways you can work as a physician, the main pathways are limited. Got it. Okay. Interesting. Let's talk about wellness. Yeah. I said the word burnout a bunch. Yeah. Uh, which, uh, which we hear a lot as well. Uh, compassion fatigue is another, um, big buzzword. Mm-hmm. Um, Speaking uh, of my experience, you know, they're slowly starting to incorporate more wellness um, teaching and, and wellness aspects to school and, and recognizing that um, both in school and in profession that, you know, medicine in general is tough on the mind. And, and um, you, know, you know, as we've seen in the press, um, at least from what I've seen in veterinary medicine, that suicide rates are scarily high i know that's the highest sim- of most right. professions yeah so what do you guys do in terms of just your general wellness i know that you know since you're a yoga teacher and you yeah, have I'm background into this stuff. in that right um <laughs> what do you guys do what how do you guys stay so interestingly sane? SLU is leading the way nationwide in Great. medical student wellness um which is one of the things i really love about SLU. um our dean dr stuart slavin Um, He's our associate dean of curriculum, has sort of taken this on as his passion project. And we are the first school that actually tracked anxiety and depression rates in Hmm. our first and second year medical students. And it was astoundingly bad. Astoundingly bad. But no one was surprised, right? right? Everyone knew it was happening, but didn't want to actually know. The denial was a nice place Mm -hmm. when you don't actually know. So he tracked it. with surveys, and we had anxiety rates close to six symptoms of moderate to severe anxiety right. were up at around sixty percent, and depression was in the thirties, hmm. uh, moderate to severe depression. So he brought it to the administration that data and said, "This isn't okay. Right. Um, we can't let this be happening to our students." And so he started to make some changes. Um, going past fail is a wellness mm-hmm. um, initiative for a lot of schools. Takes a little bit of the stress off, um, allows more collaboration. He also instituted um, electives. So SLU gets every other Wednesday off in your first and second year to chew an elective because it's been shown through studies that when you are able to do something that you're personally passionate about, you're happier. Um, We have learning communities where we can connect with people with similar interests. Uh, They changed our anatomy course a little bit because it used Mm -hmm. to be the first course and you dove right in and it really freaked people out. So a few changes like that. We also, I'm the director of our wellness learning community at SLU. And we do programming like um, we have free yoga for students. We do a lot of workouts together. We offer meditation sessions. Um, We also, Dr. Slavin has a resilience curriculum. And that's a huge part of it is I think just teaching people that these feelings are normal, destigmatizing feelings of anxiety and depression and letting them know there's things you can do. It's a, it's hard when you have really high achieving students mm-hmm. and all of a sudden they're in this super stressful environment with other high achieving students just right. like them. And it can be a really toxic environment. So we do a lot of um, work around maladaptive perfectionism mm-hmm. and um, things like that. So just it's cool because now that we have this resilience curriculum and everyone sort of knows how to talk about it, we can help each other out. So it's a really a whole cultural change at SLU. 
Now, the third year is a little different because you're in the hospital mm-hmm. all day and a lot of your day-to-day wellness has to do with how you are treated by your physician team. And when you have physicians that are burned out, right. it doesn't translate well. So that's our new project at SLU is working on the third year. And some of the big fear, we actually just wrote a letter to the editor for um, academic medicine, is that we can't actually do anything until you change the entire culture of medicine. Um, but anyway, nationwide, I, I just got back from a conference for the American Association of Medical Colleges as one of SLU's reps. And wellness in med students is a huge topic. It has been for years. And... Um, and, you know, SLU tries to share what we do in hopes that other schools can replicate it. And every school takes sort of a little bit of a different approach. Mm-hmm. But at some point, it's the nature of the beast. I don't know if you can ever make it a non-stressful environment. Right. And we don't want no stress. A little right. stress is healthy. But um, it's definitely a huge topic that still needs to be addressed and talked about. And then when you get into just working as a physician, that's a whole other topic that right. I can't really speak to yet. But right. as students, SLU's doing pretty well. Um, Got it. So there's that positive. That's really good to hear. Yeah. So at Mizzou, you guys are starting, is it just a Mizzou thing or it's a vet school nationwide I, I think thing? it's a nationwide thing. At okay. least, well, you know, the Veterinary Medical Association, um, the Aver- uh, AVMA, American Veterinary Medical Association, is starting to incorporate a lot of that into, um, you know, conferences especially and, and trying to enrich uh, our programs with more of those aspects. That's very neat. So- yeah. We were talking earlier that the sources of stress are slightly different. Right. I think that from what we talked about, your one of the major sources of stress is like boards. Second year, Second for year. sure, because I told you that score is right. such a big determinant of how you do. So second year stress, that's a huge one. Um, when you get into third year, a lot of it is just the subjective evaluations right. that your preceptor's opinion of you mm-hmm. Um and, and also just that it's a huge change. You're finally taking care of real patients and you feel like you know nothing. Right. And right. Um, it's a stressful environment. Right. So. Yeah. I think, you know, for me, um, and I know for a lot of my, my friends at school, uh, and, and I will relate this to Mizzou, which I think is maybe unique. Or but What I'm trying to say is schools are going to be different in terms of what years are going to accumulate the most stress. Right. At Mizzou, the first year is by far the most stressful. Really? Yes. They, we say that, you know, if you can make it through your first year, and really specifically if you can make it through um, through to April, um, you're, you're golden. We have typically, um, you know, five to ten that do not make it through wow. um, their first year due to grades. Um, we have a, a, a policy where um, if you fail one class, uh, you are uh, – ejected from the school. Wow. Um, and if you get a certain amount of D credits, you are also um, kicked That's out. That's so People that, don't, generally don't fail out of med school. They right. try really hard not to let that happen. Right. And, and same with vet school. But what I really liked hearing about what SLU's doing is that it's pass-fail. And I think that um, grades are a huge stressor, as they are in in any um, educational um, experience. But especially for vet students who are probably – getting, well, they're definitely getting really good grades in undergrad, some of whom are, you know, 4 four O students. Right. I was not. So by me getting B's <laughs> and C's, I was perfectly fine with that. But right. some of these some of these people in, in these programs that are getting B's and C's feel Freak like they're out. failing. They're, they're, and that's the maladaptive perfectionism, right. where you have to recognize that 50% of you are going to be in the bottom half of your class, right? even though you were all brilliant by any sense of the word right and so that's really hard for people to adjust to and one of the reasons that I'm glad I'm a little older right because I think that if you go straight from undergrad where you are constantly at the top of your class getting a 4-0 straight into that environment where man these tests are harder than anything I've ever taken and I'm not doing that well you might not know how to handle it right um and I think that gets a lot of people into that depressive mm-hmm. state is that they are not getting straight A's anymore. And they feel like they're failing or like right. they're not good enough for, um, we have a, we talk about imposter syndrome a lot. Yep. Am I As really supposed we. to be here? Right. Yeah. Um, right. So I'm, I have a, a little bit of a different perspective. Maybe you do too, coming from yeah. um, working before, but yeah. Yeah. That imposter, that little guy on your shoulder is, yeah, is a main problem, uh, a big problem. Um <laughs> Or big struggle, I should say, not a problem. Right. Um, so, yeah, so, that, so grades are a big one. If you can get away from thinking that if you're not a straight-A student, that you're a failure, that's going to change the whole ballgame. You know, grades are very important, obviously, in vet school. Um, 
probably more so if you want to get uh, internship or residency. But if you want to be a general practitioner, at least the way I look at it is basically pass fail. Um, you know, you just want to pass school and, and you're going to be good. Um, so for me, you know, granted, I was not a straight A student, far from it, in fact. Um, so I just wanted to pass my classes. And I knew that if I passed, that the the teachers that were grading felt as though I learned enough to pass. <laughs> so I, I felt worthy in that case. Now, I did have imposter where, you know, I did terrible on an, on an anatomy exam, which happened uh, more often than not. Um <laughs> That, you know, I'd tell myself, you know, you're still worthy of being here. Um, and there's going to be more opportunity to, to pick up on these skills. And, you know, I, and I think, uh, at least with what a lot of people in my class have been talking about, is that, you know, if you ask us about anatomy now, we may not remember a whole lot. And it's probably similar for you guys. Right. We have um, to relearn it for boards coming up. Right. But... And, and, and that's what I found, too, is that it's really nice to touch back on those things mm-hmm. and these these subsequent classes because it, it 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 builds on it and cements it in your mind. So, right. so our grades are hugely important because there aren't enough residency spots in this country mm-hmm. for the amount of medical students. Interesting. So right. So and that's something the residencies are paid for by the government, and so the government has to open more spots, mm-hmm. and there aren't. So there's huge worry and fear that you're not going to match into a residency spot. So um, what happens if you don't? There's or does and does that happen? Oh. Uh-huh. Okay. Right. So there's a source of stress. So do you know much about the match process? I know it's a big deal. I see it all on Facebook. Um, but I believe you preference where you want to go and you usually preference a whole bunch of So hospitals. you apply to mm-hmm. schools. Um, they invite you for an interview, some of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then once you interview at these schools, you rank. And each student makes a rank list of their top choices all the way down to sometimes kids are applying to like almost 100 schools. Holy moly. And then the programs, the hospitals, make their rank list through of every student in the country. And then there's an algorithm that matches you. And you get a letter in May that tells you where you're going. No choices. Jeez. And so if you move across the country, you move across the country. And so um, it's very unique to medicine. And yes, some people don't match. Some people get a letter that says, sorry, you have not matched. And they can kind of scramble and see if there's any spots anywhere. Mm-hmm. It's probably not going to be their first choice at all. Or... They can try to apply it again the next year, but that looks really bad if mm-hmm. you didn't match the first time. And so you hear stories. Now, it's not the the majority of students. Right. Thankfully, most students can match. Um, but there's people coming in internationally for this match process. Um, it's not just U.S. students. Wow. Um, you hear stories of people that have graduated from medical school with an MD waiting tables. Jeez. Yeah. So that's a huge stressor is just constant fear that you're not going to get a job after you've done all this work. And so it's always in the back of your head and and having to battle that and still say, no, I I'm, I'm good enough. I'm doing the work, even though I'm not getting a hundred on these tests, I'll be okay. Right. Um, so yeah, there's a, it's a constant battle. Yep. So personally, what do you do to de-stress or to kind of keep yourself, uh, in the right state of mind, you know, Yoga, I know, you know, do a lot of sleep yoga. or, you know. I am a fan of sleep. Yes, I am a large fan of sleep. Um, I try to get enough. Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes that looks like seven hours, mm-hmm. which I would prefer more. Most people would be probably thrilled with seven hours. Right. Uh, but I am not the type of person that can sleep for like four or five hours a night and mm-hmm. chug a bunch of coffee and be okay. Right. Um, I have to sleep. I give myself downtime. I I laugh with my roommates we take time off to watch movies on occasion but I also um I mean I study a lot Mm -hmm. (laughs) but I also just am okay with doing my best right um and it's not worth it to me to get to that heightened state of anxiety and depression to do five points better on a test right um and and that's where I think the sort of being older maturity level comes in I have dealt with anxiety and mental health issues in my past, and that's not something I'm willing to go back to. And gratefully, I don't have aspirations to do something hugely competitive, like mm-hmm. orthopedic surgery or dermatology. I really um, lean towards a primary care uh, position or career, and those are less competitive right now. And that's lucky for me, right. because that means I don't have to stress out quite as much. Um, but I, yeah, and I, I meditate sometimes, not as much cool. as I should. Yeah. Um, I wish I did it more. And I, it's not like I'm perfect. I get stressed out a ton. Right. But I just try to keep that perspective mm-hmm. um, in mind. 
But why? What about you? Uh, I too am a fan of sleep. Um, yes. I I've never been one to stay up all night studying for a test. I just because I know that I for me, <laughs> um, if I stay up all night, maybe I'll know more, but I'm going to perform worse. Right. Um, so yeah, I, I you know, six to eight hours is my goal every night. Um, I'm a big fan of naps. If if my time will allow for it, some most of the time it does not allow for it. But if I have a week where there's not a lot going on, you will find me on the couch mm-hmm. asleep. Um, but um, you know, I try to find something that I like to do that's not medicine. Yes. Um, so I'll go play. You know, I'm, I'm a hockey player. I'll go play hockey. Um, go to the gym, which. Uh, we all want to go to the gym more, obviously, <laughs> but um, if you just get out there and just burn some steam off, I think that Absolutely. helps me a lot. Um, or get it outside. It jogs your mind too. It allows you to focus better after. Sometimes, even if it's a day where I have a test the next day, I'm like, oh man, I have to go to the gym for at least a half hour. Yeah. Because I can't study for one second more unless right. I take a break. Right. Um, and the things at school, you know, we we have a, a a wellness week actually every semester, which is really nice that they've done that through our one of our student clubs and. They'll bring in, uh, you know, speakers about it, obviously, but they'll also bring in like um, the the masseuse students oh. to give uh, some free chair massages, massages, excuse me, and um, we'll do a yoga day and, and just other things like that to kind of yeah. teach people that there are things you can do to try to reduce the stress. Um, now, I think in clinics, it's a bit different because where, you know, where grades are not as big of a, a, a stressor. It's the time that becomes the, the right. issue um, where you have much less free time. Right. Now that, you know, you could debate that that's okay because you're not going to be studying as much at night, but you're, you may be having a 12, 18 hour shift. And so you guys don't have tests your clinical years. We do. It depends on the, on the rotation. Okay. Um, that's uh, why yeah, it depends. That clinical years are a whole other issue that we talk about on a nationwide level because you have those long shifts, but then you also have tests to study for. Right. And sometimes you're not even doing anything on your shift but it looks bad if you're studying and so there's a big other talk about third years and like i said that's what we're going to try to start tackling at slu uh and and yeah so our boards are in the middle of our clinics as as you as your lat your second set of boards but um so yeah so i know that you know at least the fourth years that are uh about actually taking them now that the the window now is between now and middle of december Mm -hmm. um they're pretty stressed because they got clinics and they have to study. study. Um, so yeah, so that's that's a stressful time. Right. Um, but yeah, so I think it's going to be a never-ending learning experience to help to how we reduce that stress. Yes. And I think it's going to evolve. Um, and we'll see where it goes. Yeah. It hopefully in the right direction. Yeah. Seems like it is. So far, I think at it least. is. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and I and I like that the schools are thinking about it more. No. Yes, I think it um, has to be a buy-in from your administration right. in order for it to work. We're very lucky that we have a dean that's into it because um, if it's just some students trying to do it, it probably won't work out as well. Right. But knowing and coming back from conferences that nationwide it's a concern, right. that's at least – concern is the first step, right? Exactly. Then maybe you can actually – Admit you have a problem. <laughs> exactly. <Right. Yes>. Uh, <laughs> I forgot to mention too that um, – we have an a, a on-staff psychologist at the vet school. So do we. Okay. So, so I think Always that's available. really cool. Yeah, right, that's exactly. Great. And I think that that is becoming more commonplace. More people should probably use it. Then you get to the, I don't have time to go to the psychologist. Exactly. <laughs> but anyway, it's likely I would, that they offer it. Right. I would love that we could have a class on on wellness or, you know, at least take an hour out of yeah, ours One is a full week. class, but we yeah. have some mandatory, and they're mandatory, yeah. lectures. Yeah, um, and I think that we do not have a mandatory lecture. I think it'd be nice to have somebody come in, be at the psychologist or right. a yoga teacher. Um, Start you're, it. Maybe you're looking for an opportunity to come. <laughs> Drive on no, down to yeah. Columbia. Um, yeah, something like something like that. Cool. Um, you should. Yeah. You should use SLU as an example. I should. I will. Okay, so the last topic I want to talk about um, quickly is studying and, and how we you study. study well not really i mean <laughs> maybe a couple hours a week but you know um but yeah so you know everyone's gonna have different study uh methods and everyone mm-hmm. learns differently but in med school what have you found that is successful for you any tips that you'd be willing to share or tricks of the of your trade my trade yes because yeah. i will say that the number one tip we hear is study how you study mm-hmm. don't feel like you have to do what someone else does do what works for right. you um so we have lectures mm-hmm. and we can rewatch them, which is great. They're recorded and we can rewatch great. them. 
Um, we also, so they record the, the video or just audio or both? They order, they record audio with the PowerPoints okay, as got they it. go. Got it. Um, we can actually also live stream our lectures from home, which is fabulous. Sweet. So people don't even have to go to class. Um, we also have what they call a syllabus. It's basically a textbook for mm-hmm. that specific class. So you can read along with that. So I like to, um, in an ideal world, I would probably read and then go to class, but that doesn't usually happen. Right. So I'll go to class, sort of get a baseline idea of what the topic is, go read. And when I read, I'm a writer. I take Mm -hmm. notes when I write. I mark up my book and I actually use um, like regular eight and a half by 11 pieces of paper Mm -hmm. and colored pens and write out notes because I learn by doing and by writing. And I'm a very visual learner, not photographic, but Mm -hmm. um, seeing things in color on a page and writing them out helps me a lot. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people don't do that. A lot of my classmates just read, but I like to actually make page outlines for each topic um, that I can go back and review. So that's my only tip. I know a lot of other people do that too, mm-hmm. but that's how I personally learn best. What about you? Um, so I had kind of, so allow me to nerd out here for a second. Oh, no, we're not nerds at all. <laughs> no. Um, so I f- believe, at least from what I've learned, is that in order to strengthen the connections in your brain, to make more, you know, neuronal... Right development you need to do things differently of the same do things differently to accomplish the same task okay let me explain so what i try to do and it's really worked well for me and and, you know fortunately and unfortunately i figured this out now not when i was an undergrad um but is to learn things three different ways so what i will do is i will go to class and i will just listen now i'll underline the important things or star things that they uh, emphasize but um, oh, and by the way, we also record lectures, which is great. Wonderful. Um, so yeah, record the audio and then the uh, the computer. Right. Uh, now we do not have live streaming, which that's only a second year thing for us. Oh, okay, that's a luxury. Yes. That's nice. Um, so yeah, so that is great. So if there's something that we miss, we can always go back and and re-listen, or if we're sick, we can right. patch back in at the end. Um, so that's number one, audio. Uh, uh, you Purely know. audio, just listen. yes, just listen. Take it in that way. And then I'll go home, and in an ideal world, I'll rewrite notes. Mm-hmm. Um, so just rewriting the important things. Um, and it's important that I emphasize to write it, not just type it. Same here. Um, a lot of people type notes. I write. Yeah, I have I, to it, physically write. It does not get into my brain if I type it. Same here. Um, so uh, so write them out. That's step number two. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have listening, writing, and then I will do something visual. So... Uh, if it's anatomy, for example, I will. I loved drawing out things. Same here. Um, I did a I lot figured, of drawing in anatomy. Right. So it, it, for some reason, that 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 spatial connection just worked. Now, unfortunately, when we, when you're taking the exam, you know, I don't have time to write out my my right. cool pictures. But hopefully, by then, I will have learned it. Uh, so the other visual thing, like if we're talking about just a straight old memorizing class, mm-hmm. um, I'll use like Quizlet flashcards and things like that, and and seeing the words. That for me is right. visual enough. Um, or there's videos you can watch to hammer exactly. some topics. And, yeah, and and I I love YouTube and even like mm-hmm. just so just Google a random topic. Right. Totally find... amateur things, but but it's totally legit. Yeah, so, and we have some programs that are actually really common for med students to use. One is called uh, Sketchy Med- Sketchy Medical that has a it's for pharmacology and micro, huh. and they do these crazy visual pictures of they're nuts it looks nuts if you don't know what you're looking at but they help hammer things home um it's interesting that i was doing something very similar to you not recognizing that i was having three different well there you go methods because the reading and the the writing and the listening so that's where kind of the 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 nerdy aspect is that i think that there's something having to do with your brain that that makes it stick yeah and the repetition and different forms of repetition it's right. the same with your yeah, body muscle memory right you grow right. more muscle when you mix it up and challenge right. it in different ways right so so that's what i try to do i try to learn things differently um and then working as far ahead as i can which is usually not hard to do not gonna happen but you know whatever that's that's where we're at so um i think a cool thing at least now the difference between my undergrad and and this experience is that there's not a whole lot of like following along with a textbook Mm-hmm. Like they will, the, the the professors will extrapolate things out of the text and then just make a PowerPoint out of it. So we don't, we, we really don't, don't have, textbooks. yeah, we don't really much either. There are some they will recommend for each course if you want, right. but you don't need them right. by any means. Right. And, I think and what to be honest, I wouldn't have time to read one. Right. Because I think what they found is that by just reading a textbook, that's not going to suffice to learn it. So Not for this um, stuff, yeah. 
So yeah, so I think what's cool about what medicine, uh, cool about medicine is there is a visual aspect to it, mm-hmm. um, which maybe people don't really think about. But at least in like anatomy, it's all visual, oh, gosh, yes. you know. And um, so if you incorporate those different aspects, I, I, for me, it helps me learn it better. So and now I can nerd out because I realize I've been doing the same thing apparently. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> cool. Um, anything else? I mean, we there's, could there's go plenty on forever. Of stuff. Yeah, but I think people probably want to stop listening at yeah. some point. <laughs> um, cool. Well, then let's wrap it up. Um, but thank you so much for taking the time um, of course. to. I learned a ton. It was wonderful. As did I. So hopefully, yeah. you know, we can get some med students listening in on this this I one. Will, and and um, I think they would find it super fascinating. Yeah. So, and again, to go back to, let's make this full circle here, um, that if we can talk to each other, vet students and med students, there's a lot that we could learn from each other. And Absolutely. I think that... Um, a lot more in common than we think also. Right, right. And, and I don't even think, you know... Um, I don't think there's competition between the two of us because I don't want to be a human doctor. No and offense. And I would be terrible taking care of an animal. Right. So. so so there you go. So we can all be friends and learn from each other. No problems. Good. All right. So I uh, want to say a huge thank you to Claire Brady for spending some time with us today, sharing her great thoughts and insight about her experience um, as a medical student, helping us learn a bit more about that side of medicine and how we can make our experience uh, as veterinary students even better by learning what... Um, by what medical students are going through, similar to us. Please be sure to check out Claire's blog, Fitting It All In, uh, online. And be sure to follow her on Instagram as well. Uh, Thank you so much for listening to the Vet School Unleashed podcast. For resources and more information about the podcast, uh, please be sure to check us out at www.vetschoolunleashed.com or find us on Twitter or Facebook. You can also feel free to reach out to me via Twitter or email me at seth at vetschoolunleashed.com with any suggestions or topics that you'd like to hear about, uh, or even reach out if you would like to be on the podcast yourself and share some insight of your own. So thank you again, and we will talk to you next time on Vet School Unleashed, Dissecting the DVM. Mm-hmm.